The Birth Circle podcast features experts in all the nuanced areas of pregnancy, birth, and postpartum with the aim of helping women make the choices that will keep them safe, healthy, and empowered. We respect all birth choices and believe in supporting informed consent and evidence-based practices. Nothing said on this podcast should be taken as medical advice. You should always seek the advice of a competent professional for your care. Welcome to the Birth Circle podcast. This is Sarah with Birth Circle, and today I'm so excited to have Heidi Snyderburn with me. And Heidi is the author of a book. Heidi, what's that called? Birth Story, Pregnancy Guidebook and Journal. It's a 42-week discovery into your pregnancy. Yes. And we're going to be talking about hospital birth, especially what's happened in the in the recent things in the, in the world with COVID, <laughs> and um, just generally how to have a better hospital birth, right? Yeah. Okay, great. So what, um, I ask this every time, what started you on your birth journey? How, How did you get into this? Oh, this is one of my favorite questions to answer, Sarah, because so few people know my story, even like my closest friends. Um, When I was 12 years old, my mom was, I came home from school one day, got off the bus, and my mom was miscarrying one of my siblings at 17 weeks along on the bathroom floor. I didn't even know she was pregnant. And, um, my mom is kind of, you know, she's very crunchy. (laughs) She had all natural births and she was not going to call for help. Like she knew that what she was experiencing wasn't an emergency. Um, so as a young child, 12 years old, seeing kind of like your mom in labor and in pain and a lot of blood and things like that, she was just very calm and, um, you know, let me know, like, you know, not to panic and we didn't need to call the doctor and what was happening, but that she just wanted me to sit with her and be with her while, um, you know, while she mourned the loss of this child. I get emotional when I tell the story. Um, And together we buried my sibling in the backyard. And so that was sort of like the first seed I think that was planted in birth work. Um, I believe that being a birth worker is a calling. I believe it's something that you can try to Uh, fly away from for as long as possible, but it will keep coming to find you. Um, (laughs) Oh, isn't that the truth? You can run and try and hide. but (laughs) Yes. So I tried really hard. I actually, um, in high school, I was just ridden with dreams of pregnancy. Um, I always feel like I have some sort of like I don't know if you call it like prophecy or something, but like I could always sense that my friends or family members were pregnant long before they ever told anyone. I just Mm. have this like sixth sense about pregnancy and lots and lots of dreams and I just couldn't get away from them. And then I ran away to business school and I got an MBA and I joined corporate America and I did all these things. And then one of my friends called me one of my best friends and she was married and she was pregnant and I did, we had been roommates and I never knew this about her, but she said, Heidi, I had a baby when I was 16. She's actually from Utah. She's Mormon and she had gotten pregnant and she had chosen life and, um, had, you know, proclaimed that her body was a vessel to parenthood for the adopting parents. And she gave her son up for adoption when she was 16 years old. So she had already been through labor and delivery. I didn't know this. And this is like one of my best friends. Wow. And um, 
so she called me when she was married and pregnant and getting ready to have her second baby, but her husband also didn't know. And she said, I need to tell you this story and I need you to be with me and I need your massages and your comforting touch. And I said, a hundred percent, I'm all in. And so I went to be with her at her birth and it was magical. I mean, we, she, she just knew exactly what to do. And so, um, and I kept her secret and I kept her protected. So it was my first time in like an advocacy role and I didn't even know I was, mm-hmm. you know, advocating. Um, but I gave her massages and, you know, did burn like some oils and some sage and uh, just did all these wonderful things. And when I left the hospital after 24 hours of labor, I was filled with energy. I mean, I was just like on, like, it was uh, like someone sprinkled yep. fairy dust all over <laughs> me and was like, you've you drank from bit. the fountain of youth. Yeah. <laughs> it was amazing. It was like the best high I've ever had. And um, my sister, who is uh, like a little on the crunchy side too, proclaims, you were her doula. And I was like, what, what is a doula? You know, like <laughs> there's a what, word what of the amazingness I just did. Yeah. Help? And I yeah. like, like dial up AOL. This is like back then. I like oh, dial up man. AOL. I didn't even hear the word doula <laughs> until like I'd had two and a half babies. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. So I typed in D-U-L-A. Yeah. So for anyone listening, that is not how you spell doula, no. you know, so D-O-U-L-A. So I typed in D-U-L-A and my sister actually shipped me the book, the doula book. And it was this amazing book. And I thought, oh my God, I have to do this thing. And so that set off those two unique experiences really set the course for me on birth work. Um, I still fought it for a long time and I did like (laughs) part-time doula work, you know, because you have babies of your own, right? I do. So it's kind of hard to do this while you're having babies. Well, I was a doula for, my oldest is just turned six. So I was a doula for 10 years before I got pregnant myself. Oh, got but it. the last, I would say the first couple of years when they were like still nursing, and when you're pregnant and you're nursing, it is very hard to do doula work, um, which is a conversation, Sarah, that we've had a little bit on with birth workers coming in and out of the mm-hmm. community. Um, and that's one of the reasons too, is it's very hard to be on call when you're a mom and nursing. It's really hard. Yeah. Um, I could have a whole podcast on pumping. I know, just pumping while, while doing. <laughs> well, I was a wedding filmmaker for 12 years and I used to have my station set up in the car. I could, I could pump, like I'd be like, okay, when are you cutting the cake? Okay, when are you doing the dance? Okay, run out and pump. Yeah, no, I get it. <laughs> yeah, it was very oh. difficult. So, so that's what started my journey into birth work. And like I said, it's one of my favorite stories to tell. And um, here I am 16 years later from that first, you know, moment of um, helping, well, 16 years from the second story I right, told you. Your, your I friend. wish I was only 20 something years old still. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, and so I work in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm mostly a hospital based doula. I do attend a home birth, um, you know, once a month or something, you know, once every other month. Um, but yeah, mostly a hospital-based doula, and that's really my lane, and I'm super passionate about advocacy in the hospital. And so, um, tell us about um, the laws in North Carolina. How are they, um, do you have, because I know in Utah, we have basically 
anything goes. You can have home, hospital, birth center, everything's legal. Um, what are the laws like in North Carolina? Yeah. Okay. And so without, I don't want to get myself in trouble on like quoting the law. So this is just going to like, let oh me yeah. Disclaimer of like, Got I'm it. not an attorney. I'm just like loosely, you know, loosely applying my knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so in North Carolina, from what my understanding is this term illegal gets tossed around a lot with home birth. From my understanding, it's not technically illegal for, for you to have a home birth. Right. Anyone can have right. their baby at home. You can. Yeah. What's technically illegal is the difference between a certified nurse midwife and a certified professional midwife attending a birth at home without an overseeing obstetrician. Got it. So we have a lot of certified professional midwives, which are trained in a different track, no less educated, but just trained right. in a different track. Than or maybe someone- even coming from another state too. Yes, exactly. But different than the certified nurse midwife where someone may have gone to, to become an RN first and then gone on to, um, mid- nurse, to become a nurse midwife. And so in our state, not all cities, but m- most of the cities, the certified nurse midwives work under the obstetricians with the big hospital systems. Many of them did work at several of the birth centers and North Carolina also, but most of the birth centers have been slowly shutting down. We do have like at least one birth center in like every other major market, I'd say in North Carolina. We don't, I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina with one and a half million people and we don't have a birth center. Is that because there's no OBs that will oversee them? So we had one, it was called Baby and Co., And that was a chain that was kind of around the Southeast. And from what I understand, it was just a financial thing. So we had an overseeing obstetrician that worked for a big healthcare system here, Novant Health. And that overseeing obstetrician, um, it was almost like a, a good partnership between the hospital and the birth center. They were connected. So if you had to have Ooh, a transfer, you could easy. just transfer right into this OB's practice. And then they had midwives on staff also. So it was a really nice um, option for moms in Charlotte to have. But unfortunately, the story that's been told is that it just really wasn't profitable, um, that they were having a hard time with the financial model. So Interesting. Um, there may be other pieces to that, but I'm just not privy to that story. So when um, you're attending home births, are you attending as a doula with, with a midwife there? Or are, you, or are you attending as unassisted births? Um, no, we're attending with midwives. So we have sort of like the underground communication path in uh, <laughs> North Carolina for home birth. So home birth is alive and well in North Carolina. It's just very protected. Um, So as an example, we have a filtering system. So if I get a home birth inquiry, I have a specific doula that get these inquiries get filtered to. She vets those inquiries and then those inquiries will then get um, validated, will then get submitted to the a system of midwives that we have that support home births. So wow, we have a beautiful system, a beautiful network. <laughs> There's a lot of home births that are going on, but again, we want to protect our certified professional midwives yeah. that are doing an amazing job in yeah. um, home birth care, but practicing under a different 
umbrella per se than like the laws of North Carolina would uh, prefer. Prefer. I like the word prefer because, and this is, I'm so passionate. I really don't care if you give birth at home or in the hospital. It's just that the choices are really important that if you're banned from having a a home birth, but a home birth, like, but a hospital just really won't work for your (laughs) circumstance, for your mental health, then you should not be unsafe at a home birth. Like, should not be forced to be unsafe. And so right. I'm always fascinated to hear how other states manage that because I would hate to have, I would hate to hear a woman um, doing an unassisted childbirth and something bad happening just because she was so afraid to go to the hospital or just, I mean, there's so many reasons why a woman yeah. would choose not to go to the hospital or can't get to a hospital yeah. too far, too far rural or Finances, transportation. Yeah, insurance. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so many different reasons. Women of color that don't trust the, um, you know, the hospital system to take Mm -hmm. care of them, rightfully so. I mean, so yes, I would love to leave listeners with home birth is alive and well in North Carolina. Um, You just have to do a little bit of digging. Yeah. Okay. So how has COVID then um, changed? Because I know here in Utah, many people have switched to home and birth center easily because of what COVID's done in the hospitals and and the policies, not necessarily what it's actually done in hospitals, but the policies. And uh, but so in a place like North Carolina, it'd be a little bit more difficult to make that switch. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about it, Sarah. <laughs> like, let's get in. Just, this just is where let I me drag like, the soapbox out and put yeah. it put it there for Heidi. <laughs> let's get a little bit fired up about that. So in March, the hospital systems just shut down. That was their to do list. That was like their immediate response. So no we doulas. have hundreds of moms that have paid thousands of dollars for their <laughs> doulas. The yeah. average price in Charlotte is probably one thousand to fifteen hundred or twenty five hundred dollars. So anywhere from a thousand to twenty five hundred dollars that you've paid for a doula, and and those are non refundable fees. And now the hospital system shuts down. Um, and most doulas, like myself, we have this catastrophic clause. You know, like if there's something out of our control. So we had to get really creative on how we were going to serve moms. Yeah. The number one response to that was switching to home birth. So there was an influx of uh, my clients, all of the other doulas clients, just newly finding out that they were pregnant, switching to home birth. If they didn't switch to home birth, they inquired about it. I had every single one of my doula clients on the docket that was out for eight months asking me questions, wanting to interview home birth uh, midwives and at least consider the switch. Um, Many did switch. So immediately they just kind of shut everything down and we switched to virtual doula services. And um, I would love to say that like, I'm really good at virtual dueling. I mean, my first seven in a (laughs) row preferred to have an unmedicated birth and we labored at home for a long time. So that was a big change. It was like, well, we're not going to the hospital at 411 or 511. Like we're going to the hospital at 211, you know? Like what's 211 511? Okay, so that's when your contractions are 5 oh, minutes it. apart lasting for a minute. That's been going on for an hour. The hospital will tell you 511. Most birth workers will tell you 3 to 411. Yeah. And in COVID, we're like 
you're through transition. Maybe you're not pushy yet, but those contractions it's that are like quiet two before the storm, and you beat it to the high. Yes. <laughs> and we're like, let's go. Like right before <laughs> you need to push, like let's go. Um, so that was like a big change. Was doing a lot more childbirth education, empowerment, like trusting that your body was going to be okay, even if we're not on continuous monitoring at home, checking your blood pressure and your temperature every two seconds. You know, which I don't want to downplay the importance of that. But in healthy singleton pregnancies, um, you know, we felt very comfortable letting women. Do you have Montreese's there? Just wondering. We do. Yep. And that's very much part of my practice um, and a lot of the other doulas practices around. So Montrese, we have not talked about Montrese's, I think, at all this year, but Montrese's are a step between a doula and a midwife. They can do some things like take blood pressure, um, check, check station the baby, check a cervix, mm-hmm. but they, they're no replacement for a midwife. No. But, but they could... W- if you're laboring as far as, as long as you can at home, then that would be a nice service to have, to have somebody checking your blood pressure and your, and your dilation, right? Yeah. It was something that, that we implemented immediately. Was really? Having like, yep. Immediately having, um, because we want to know if you're three or four centimeters or, you know, if you've been laboring for a long time and if yeah. we need to go sooner, you know, so we had a couple of situations where the question mark went over my head. Like, She's kind of been in labor for a really long time. And I'm wondering if now this is prodromal labor instead of um, active labor. Um, Also, the Montrese midwives, most of them are midwifery apprentices. That makes sense. So they're like working under the midwives as their assistants. And um, they also offer herb like herbal inductions and herbal augmentations and that type of thing. So everything from like a red raspberry leaf tea enema to like tinctures with like motherwort and black and blue cohosh and different things that we can mm-hmm. help expedite labor. So yeah, we absolutely implemented monetary services. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. So sorry, I interrupted you. I'm just fascinating story. Okay. So at the hospital, if they don't allow a doula, how, how, what virtual doula services, how is that working? Yeah. Okay. So it's really interesting. Really quick on the fly, we had to develop a plan. Like, what does that look like? Right. And it looked like me shipping to all of my clients a tripod stand, making sure that they had technology so that they had the financial resources to have an iPad or an iPhone or something. And, a, and then I would buy them a Bluetooth speaker so that that way they could actually hear my voice. So the way that it worked is we would use Zoom which was pretty cool because we could actually then record all of the births because you just hit the little record tab on Zoom. And now all of a sudden against hospital policy for doing birth photography or birth videography, all of my births are now Okay, because the hospital would not, they didn't ban this virtual service. They didn't, no. They they knew better. Yeah, they knew better. (laughs) Yeah. So what I was able to do is just kind of like we're talking on Zoom today, Sarah, is I was on a tripod. So once they would get into the hospital, if they weren't about to birth. Now, the majority of my clients, I never switched to virtual services. They birthed within 10 to 30 minutes of arrival at the hospital. But I did have over the last couple of months, I have had several clients that were still there for four, five, six, seven, eight hours that I did do virtual services with. And so I'm on a Bluetooth speaker and I'm on a video so that I can see them. It's not important for the mom, as you know, to be able to see me. So most of the time I just had my video turned off, 
but I could watch the environment. I made sure to meet the labor and delivery nurse, the midwife or the obstetrician, go over their birth plan, still be able to say while the mom's laboring, you know, um, to have those sidebar discussions. Oh, and, then, and they would they would take you seriously on a little yeah. device? Yeah, and I think that's wow. because I've worked here for 16 years. Though, okay, too, so okay. I know most yeah, of the providers and we have like a good relationship and mm-hmm. a good rapport and I've, I've, you know, been delivering with them for a long time. Um, but, but if you don't know, if you don't know, if you're doula, because we're doing that too here, they're, yeah. they're allowing, they're starting to allow doulas, but yeah, the virtual assisting is still a thing. So if your doula isn't well known and your doctor has never worked with an iPad in the room, what are some of the things that the fa- that the couple going in, the birthing person can go in and say to, to pave the way for this to go smoothly? That's a really great question. So the first comes in the prenatal appointments, right? Like it was so mm-hmm. important that when you're doing your prenatal appointments to make sure that your birth plan, your advocacy plan, your preferences plan, whatever you want to call it, is is laid out and printed so that you or your partner, if you have one with you, can then deliver that to the nurse, the obstetrician, the midwife. I also had all of my clients write a letter that said, I have been laboring with Heidi at home for this entire labor until this point, please get to know her. She's part okay. of my team. That's so they fair. turned in a letter asking for them to get make sure that they involved me and to get to know me and all that kind of thing. Um, there was a lot of preparation with the partners. So making sure the partners understood how to use a rebozo, how to do a double hip squeeze, how to like put pressure on the sacrum, how to do some abdominal lifts or some belly sifting. So that when I'm then directing or coaching from the other side of the camera, they, they know what I'm talking about because we mm. already went over it in mm-hmm. the prenatal appointments. So that became really important. Some of this was trial and error. So I would do it and then I would ask the couple what worked, what didn't work, how could we do this better? Then I would be better at virtual yeah. dueling on the next one. And it just, the education keeps growing, but these are some of the key learnings that have helped be successful in this virtual environment. Yeah. I just hopefully the, it's getting taken down. Gave birth uh, in late March, early April. Poor things. Oh my God. Like in New York City where they couldn't even have their partner with them. Oh my That's, heart. Have I, you interviewed any of them? No, but I can't call that anything other than abuse. I don't understand how you total abuse. Any uh, any other like form of abuse because it's not necessary. <sighs> Yeah. I hope there's some lawsuits with some PTSD and I don't Please know, bless. medical mm. trauma. I mean, just, yeah, it's terrible. So, yeah. um, so I will say that I was able to then listen to how the moms were laboring, kind of still visually see as if I was in the room, like what their needs might be, even if it was just like chapstick or some ice chips or water, if I could see that there was some glistening sweat on their forehead and to help their partners, you know, get some cold cloths, um, when to do squats, when to walk, you know. Yeah. So basically um, supporting the partner, supporting the birthing person. Yeah. So it was a little bit, it was a little bit different. Now, one of the hospital systems here just opened up to doulas and we could talk about this because it's very, yeah. very controversial, <laughs> very controversial. So one hospital system has opened up to doulas in our area and the other one remain silent. Their stance right now, the hospital is atrium and atrium stance is that doulas are visitors. 
So one thing that we need to point out is that hospitals aren't God. Hospitals aren't even government. Hospitals are businesses. So they are making a choice based on policy, their preference, not based on what the universe needs them to do. Right. So the fact that one hospital made one choice, another hospital makes another choice. Keep telling the story. I'm very interested. Yes. And both of these hospitals, by the way, are for-profit hospitals. Okay. Okay. So this is very important. (laughs) This is a very important part of this. Um, So I will name them. So Novant um, is one of the big chains that spreads across, both of these spread across the Southeast. But Novant has made the decision to, that they have very loud and clear said, doulas are not visitors. They're a critical part of the birth team. They cited um, data with A1 and the Cochrane Review. Yep. And the Cochrane Review to say that moms have better outcomes with continuous labor support. It is clinically proven over and over again. So we were really proud of this decision. But, da, da, da. The way that they went about it has been very exclusive and not inclusive of the whole birth worker community. What? They didn't know what to do with us, right? So they have what's called a vendor credentialing system through a company called VendorMate. Now, in one of my like side corporate jobs, I work in epilepsy neurosurgery very part-time. And I already have this credentialing because I go into the operating room as a consultant for a company that makes a lot of money to do business at the hospital, right? So it makes sense that I have vendor credentialing. I have to go into the operating room. I have to have training with bloodborne pathogens and Medicare and Medicaid and their tobacco policy. And I have to prove that I'm not a sex offender and that I don't have a criminal history. All of this makes sense to me for my medical device consulting job. So like if if you're a drug rep, you need to be screened. You're making lots of money by going in there. If you're a medical device rep, all this stuff. If you sell paper plates, whatever it is that it that you do. But they they put the same stipulations on the doulas. So, okay, it so you was, could have a paper plate rep that would be allowed to be a doula, but not an actual doula doula. Right. So what they asked every doula <laughs> to do was pay a $350 fee, which is a lot of money. It's a lot of money for doula. Yeah. Then you had to prove that you are a registered business with an EIN. Now oh. we know that both work, most both work, most birth workers are just not great business people. And like, we may or may Can not I get have an a amen? tax ID <laughs> number, you know? We may not have separate so. credit card accounts, may or may not be expensing their miles. Yeah. Well, well and, and it doesn't make sense because if you're just doing this a couple times a year, there's no, there's no point. The government exactly. doesn't even recognize it as a business. It's a hobby. Yeah. So, and if you're volunteering, and what if you're too. a community doula? And all yeah. of this is volunteer work to help improve outcomes for right. women of color. At first, you have like dredged me, drugged me through the entire gamut of human emotions in the last 10 minutes. So <laughs> can you please like do something about it? Because I'm, I'm really sorry. upset. <laughs> I'm so sorry. We can end this on a high note. (laughs) Please. Um, But anyway, I mean, so it was just a very rigorous process that was very expensive just to to have someone attest that you aren't a sex offender. That costs money. Background check. 
that costs money. Then the, the joke was, is they were like, you can't turn these things in for yourself. And we were like, but we don't work for anyone. We work for ourselves, you know, like, or we're volunteering for ourselves. Like who's going to run the background check? Like there's no corporate company to run the background check. Oh no. Um, you know, so it's been kind of a disaster. And the last I checked, only eight doulas in our area had credentialed. So through the process, what does that mean for moms? That's very bad for moms. That's that means very that, bad. That means yeah. no representation. No representation, right? And I hate to say it, but all of those eight doulas were white women. Okay, well, that does nothing for our community of yeah. women that are of uh, different backgrounds and different cultures and different races. And so, I mean, it's been sort of a disaster, but in one hand, it's like, okay, I, like I, I credentialed and I certified and it was difficult. I had to make a decision, right? Like, do I stand against the machine <laughs> or do I serve the 40 moms that have hired me that are birthing at Novant right now? And I had to make the decision, very difficult, that I could kind of balance it, right? Like I could use my voice and my platform to advocate for change, but I also needed to serve the 40 moms that I had that were birthing at Novant right now that were finding out doulas are allowed back in the hospital. What do you think they're going to do if their paid doula says, oh, I'm not going to go, <laughs> you know? Um, so we were kind of stuck in a sticky situation and I credentialed, but I'm still trying to speak loudly for change. We yeah. were able to get the fee. Um, I should say, I feel like I played a very big role in it because I was the, the first one to change the fee to $25. So oh, now- Heidi. Yeah. So now the fee is $25 for everyone, a one-time fee of $25. So it is, the cost is, barrier is not as much there, but all the other loopholes are still in place. So oh, we're working other. on it. Change is coming slowly. Um, then the other hospital system, I'm just a visitor. So we're still virtual dueling. But they'll allow partners at least? They're allowing partners. Yep. Yeah. And they're allowing us to be on virtual services. Um, most of my clients just switched, honestly. They just switched from Atrium to Novant or they switched to home birth. How exhausting. Mm -hmm. So this conversation six months ago would have been very different when we talked about how to rock your hospital birth. Um, <laughs> it's a completely different animal. Uh, do you think that we'll return back to normal? Do you think that hospitals will get so excited about all this newfound power? Over the no, mom's birthing it's space. Already, it's already changing. It so will quickly. reverse. Now I can only speak about my city. You know, I'm not sure what's happening like in Houston and New York and Chicago and LA, but I can say in my city, the moms are being loud and proud. They're writing letters, they're posting on Instagram, they're tagging the hospital systems, they're writing to the medical directors. I mean, they are like, let the doulas back in and everyone is putting the data in front of them from the Cochrane Review. So it's, um, I have to give kudos to Rebecca yeah. Decker from yes. Evidence-Based Birth. Yeah. Amen. She's been critical with her podcasts and her, um, just all of the data that she's putting out around COVID. I mean, she's really leading the way for change. So yeah. we've been able to use the data that she's putting out to support fighting for doulas to be back in the hospitals. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. So the question, how to rock your hospital birth then? What do you think? What is your unique 
Yeah. So I, the first question I would say is what hospital birth are we talking about, you know, with the virtual doula or doula? So let's, let's go back to the world. Cause I really think we're turning the corner to where you're going to have your doula and you're going to have your birth partner. And how do we rock? Uh, yeah. How do we rock there we go. Birth? I'm yep. So, let's do that. So I cannot have this conversation though, without kind of pitching my book a little bit. Do it. We want to hear wrote, about your book. <laughs> yeah. So I wrote a book directly about this. And so the book is Birth Story, and then it's Pregnancy Guidebook and Journal, and it's the tagline is a 42-week discovery into your pregnancy. It's available on Amazon and also at birthstory.com. But over my 16 years of being a doula, Sarah, my clients that were birthing at the hospital, there was just like this unmet need, right? They, I had the same conversation over and over again. They're like, Heidi, I can get these amazing books, Inamay's Guide to Childbirth, right? The like hallmark, these hallmark books, like Birthing from Within is another amazing one. Lamaze, The Bradley Method. They were having a very difficult time finding a book or a resource for the 92% of women birthing in a hospital that want, want an epidural. Mm-hmm. Not pushed into it, not forced into it, but actually- Accidentally. Want want, an want a planet. Great. So I have all these moms that were hiring me that they're like, I mean, I really want to have a doula, but I also want to have an epidural, you know, or I really want to have a doula, but I really want nitrous oxide or I'm open to all, or like, or, 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 right. But they really weren't finding anything that told them what it's like to get an epidural. Like, what does that feel like? What is the mm. procedure like? what are all these, when I check into triage, like what are all these medical terms I'm hearing? Like, what is this monitoring all about? So instead of like a book that's like fighting all these things, right? I was like, what if I put a book out there that just explained what all these things were so that then when moms were working with their doulas or their partner or their birth team, they had a better understanding on how to advocate for themselves based on what their true wishes and desires are, because now they're fully educated and informed on the whole process. Mm-hmm. So that's the book I decided to write. It's, um, I think it's pretty good. It's like three books in one. <laughs> hey, like, so, I think it's pretty good. I, in no doubt it's good. If I'm you like, write, if you write like you talk, it's going to be a uh, fun ride. <laughs> so it's, I mean, it's 529 pages. So it's really thorough. So super simple, very to the point. Sounds mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it is. Yes, it is. It's just 42 weeks. So yeah, we that's did true. It, yeah, so we did it as a week by week guide. So every week you're greeted with um, what's called a postcard from the womb. And this is your guide to pregnancy. Your baby is writing you a letter from the womb about what's going on in their development that week. So it's really cute. And then there's a journaling prompt every single week. And then there's a birth story every single week. And the birth stories are all the stories, not all of them, 42 of my favorites that I chose. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then it pops out. So if I'm telling a story and it's to the babies, so it's like, so Sarah, what's your, one of your child's names? Oh, um, let's say Beth. Beth, okay. So it's like, dear Beth, I'm Heidi, I'm your doula, and I want to tell you about the day you were born. And then it goes through the whole timeline, like at at 11 o'clock, your mom was awakened with some surges and, you know, and all these things. And it unfolds. 
And then if there are things that you need to note, like what is bloody show? Like what are these newborn checks and procedures? What is a membrane sweep? What is a cord knot? What is a nuchal cord? Whatever. All of these important terms are pop-outs in the book for education through storytelling. So that's kind of the platform. So when we go back to your original question of like, how do we prepare for a hospital birth? I believe that the success of having a positive experience in a hospital and walking out of that hospital without medical trauma and looking back on your birthing experience, almost as if you had it at home or at a birth center is possible with preparation. Mm -hmm. So I have a lot of prenatal visits and I have a questionnaire that we go through that has hundreds of questions. It takes about three to six hours to complete just the initial prenatal visits to be my client. And so I think it's really key to be able to like have somebody walk you through every decision that you have to make from the moment you walk through the hospital door to going to the nurse's station, to going to triage, if your hospital even has triage. What does that look like? What are they wanting to do? Like what are the hospital policies and protocols, and then giving the mom the power to say, no one can do anything to your body without your permission. So here's what the hospital would like to do. Let me tell you the pros, the cons, the whys behind all of those decisions, but then mom, you choose what feels right for your body. Now we know that they want to take your blood and they want to do an IV port and they want to monitor you. Well, there's all different types of monitoring. We have to use our voice to ask for different types of monitoring, like a portable monitor or a waterproof monitor or out of the bed monitoring, you know? Um, so I think when I, when I talk to new parents, especially, or I have two types of clients, new parents and parents that had a traumatic first birth. They didn't use a doula. They felt like they got taken advantage of. Something happened in their birth at the hospital and they will not let that happen to them again. So they've hired a doula to really like advocate and teach them, you know, what they need to know to have a voice. Um, many of my clients are surprised that they don't have to have any cervical checks and most of my clients don't have any cervical checks, but like preparing for that in, ad in advance. Here's what the hospital wants to do. Here are their policies. Here's what we're going to do. And we're going to put it in a legally binding document called a birth plan. And we're going to turn it in so that if anything goes against that birth plan, they are now at fault because they've got a legally binding document. In is their the birth plan legally binding or is it the it way is. that you submit it? It is legally binding. And I actually have been called to the witness stand and it, the birth plan was used. So it is. So absolutely. how do you make that? Because I've, I've heard hospitals just kind of laugh at it. But if you're You'll, talking about if you file it and, and it's within to reason it too, right? Like birth is unpredictable. So you can't like sue your doctor if you needed an emergency C-section and your birth plan talked about for the, the partner catching the baby. You can't sue the doctor based on that. No. So what, right. So what parts of the birth plan can you actually like fight for? Well, I would, vent, you know, I'm going to go, I'm not a lawyer, but I would say yeah. from what I've experienced, I mean, you can pretty much fight for anything 
that deters detours from your birth plan if it isn't um, if the mom and baby are healthy. Uh huh. So you so, say that, so you could say you you chose to rush my you chose chose to intervene when everything was healthy and yeah. I ended up with a C section. So now you're on the hook. Yeah. Or here's another example. Um, I told you I didn't want any vaginal exams. I was, my baby was completely healthy on that monitor. So as I, I was progressing naturally with my signs and symptoms and you forced your hand inside me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, Here's another one that happens all the time. My birth plan says to not cut the cord for a minimum of five minutes until it has stopped pulsating. If me and my baby are completely happy and I've been recording your birth and at the two minute mark, you cut the cord. And my baby was deprived of all of those rich stem cells. Well, I, we told our doctor, our midwife, that we didn't want the cord cut. And she said, fine. But then when it push came to shove, he was in distress. And rather than wheeling the car over to me, they cut the cord and took him and he had respiratory distress. So that was in our birth plan. It was written down, but she could claim, well, he was in distress. He wasn't happy. Yep. So in that case, that would be... One, I see the cases on the other side where like baby's totally happy laying on mom's chest and they cut the cord cord because they're not keeping good time. Now, hopefully if you have a good doula who's with you, she's keeping time. You know what I mean? And I'm like, whoa, I tell everybody when in doubt, let your doula cut the cord be the person that you say is going to cut the cord. Oh, that's I'm cute. Touching, I'm holding that cord and I'm feeling for that that's pulse. That's a good idea. Or train if the I partner f- to do that. Exactly. And if you feel that pulse, I mean, just be like, oops, I don't know what's happening. And la, la, la. You can Wait, waste- how do the scissors work? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can waste 60 seconds like so easily, you know what I mean? While you're just yeah. like fumbling around with nerves on so, cutting the cord. So basically the best preparation is a lot of education is, is knowing, so you can be on the, is it the word, the offense instead of the defense. So you're not putting out fires when they, you're, you're going in with a solid plan and saying, this is, this is what I will and will not tolerate in terms. Oh, you said before we started recording, why are they treating us um, instead of treating birthing people like customers, which they are, they treat them like, I don't know, employees. (laughs) Yeah. Like sick patients. You know what I mean? Like something's wrong with them and their blood pressure needs to be taken every two seconds. And like, you know, like, it's just, it's insane. I want to go back to what we, what you were just said to kind of conclude that is mm-hmm. um, I have seen that we have much six, more success with our birth plans when we submit them through the online portals in advance. Oh, so I, okay. I require all of my clients. So my clients get three birth plans. They get a spontaneous, like if they go into spontaneous labor, then they get an induction birth plan and get to 42 weeks and you know, again, no one can do anything. To, I birthed at 43 weeks in a hospital. So no one can do anything to your body at 42 weeks without your permission. But if you decide to be induced, then we have an induction plan. Mm-hmm. And then we have a gentle cesarean plan. So all my clients get three plans. And then I ask them to upload it to the online portal and to schedule time with their OB or their midwife to talk about it because we don't want to be in an adversarial right. thing. Nobody so if wins. We, Yeah. So if at 36 weeks you've uploaded your birth plans and you've scheduled time and we've all talked about it, then, and your, your doctor signs off on it or your midwife signs off on it. When we get into your birthing time and in your birthing space, 
the first thing I let everyone know in the room, like the labor and delivery nurse, is we've already uploaded this birth plan and we've discussed it with midwife so-and-so. And if, do you have any questions, labor and delivery nurse or doctor on call or whoever it is, because this was already approved in advance. Great. So, That's cool. Um, so I would say that would be a big tip that I would have is use those online portals to your, ask as clients should ask as many questions on those portals as they need in advance. Um, you know, I don't think there's a way to abuse that system. It's a really quick way to get access to your provider and you can ask them whatever's on your mind. Um, and if you have, you know, if you think they're going to push back on no IV port, then let them do it when you're not in labor. So that yes, we can, um, exactly. Yeah. So we can have a solid conclusion on what our plan is. Again, healthy mom and healthy. Well, baby. and this is with your provider, but the nurse is not, I mean, you don't ever get to meet your nurse before you go into labor. So, right. but at least if you've got it approved, the provider and the nurse is trying to force that you can say no. And the provider okayed it. Go call my yeah. provider. Yeah. So, um, so the second part of your question, I could probably answer by going back like early in my career, right? On watching the hospital systems over and over again, take advantage of moms. And that's really how I was able to kind of create a system that I think works really well. Um, because early in my doula career, I didn't have a system. And so I was just kind of a witness um, to some bad things happening. Yeah, birth worker trauma, birth worker PTSD is a real thing. Yeah. Like yep. and you, you're standing there helpless. Like, but we put on the birth plan five minutes. Why did you cut it at 30 seconds? And, and my young self not saying that and not speaking up. I mean, it took me a long time to even grow into my doula voice to be able to advocate for my clients. So now imagine if you're just 27 years old and you're pregnant, trying to do that for the first time yourself. Yeah. I mean, it's not a system. I mean, we've never, we've, you don't get to go into labor and delivery till you go into labor, labor and delivery. So it's not like you even know what kind of beast you're up against. Yeah. So you had asked me before the podcast started, like, what are some of the things that I see in the hospital system that I, where they're really treating people like um, patients, yeah. and not like customers. And so I was going to talk up. Uh, well, and first of all, what's the difference between a, patients and a patient and a customer and why are moms really just patients and not, I mean, they're, birthing people are definitely customers and not yeah. patients. What's yeah. that, what's that line? So I think when you have private hospitals and especially like, and I'm speaking right now to moms coming in with private insurance, even Medicaid, right? I'm, I'm not talking about an uninsured mom who's not probably paying for their birth. Right. But a Medicaid, about, a Medicaid mom can go pretty much anywhere. So she's still yeah. a customer. Yeah. So you're, so our Medicaid moms, I have moms that are on Medicare that have different disabilities and commercial insurance. So pretty much every birthing mom that's just not un, completely uninsured, which in North Carolina, you shouldn't be uninsured. You should have some people that help you qualify for Medicaid. But again, that's a yeah podcast for another day. So if you're coming in and you're paying the hospital with Medicaid, you're paying the hospital with Medicare or commercial insurance, they're getting paid a lot of money from you. 
depend if you get an epidural, they're getting paid at least sixty thousand dollars. If you have a cesarean section, eighty hundred thousand dollars. You know, if you just come in and you have an unmedicated birth, a lobby birth, still, yeah, a lobby birth, they're still probably getting, you know, twenty thousand dollars. I am shocked when I, I I always ask my clients to look at their bills afterwards, especially mm-hmm. my C-section moms or my belly birth moms. I'm like, let me look at that. I want to see how much that anesthesia costs, how much all of that costs. Mm-hmm. Um, they're getting a lot of money. And so as we know, the more interventions and the more you're able to um, you know, have a code that you put in or track with your electronic medical records for your quality measures right? They have all these markers and like 90% of patients have to have X, Y, or Z to meet their quality measures. That's a great question to ask your provider if you want to get kind of aggressive or push back is (laughs) what are your quality measures for birth? What is your bonus? What are you getting paid to do that's different than what's on my birth plan? right? Because I want to know where Ouch. I'm coming from and where you're, where you're coming from, right? And if you have a good provider, they'll open up and they'll tell you what their quality measures are. They're in their EMR system, right? So I've had a couple of providers over the years that have printed them for me, but um, they change every year and they usually follow, even the commercial insurance follows Medicare and, and Medicaid also for those reimbursements, um, which is... Uh, all of this to say is it comes down to money and finances, right? And so the person gets lost in the conversation and yeah. the experience, right? So do I think it's important to check on your baby? Yes. yes. Do I think it's important to check your blood pressure, your temperature? Yes. But it is not important to lay on your back with your feet in stirrups where we know that the pelvis is not as open as it could be, where we know that you're more at risk of having a cesarean section by laying on your back. Like, why can't you labor in the tub after your water has broken, but you'll do an internal exam after the water is broken when they're GBS positive? And just shoving all that bacteria up in there. I mean, I don't know, Sarah. I could probably go on. on I like know a million the Heidi soapbox so. <laughs> is quite grand. Yes. You've got theater lights set up around it. I love it, though. Yeah, you preach. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So just, anyway, so I, there's so many things that don't make sense that can contradict and just makes it look like um, a scheme. Like it makes us. It makes it really hard to trust the system when they do things like this. Yeah. No, and it's just maybe they just haven't had this pointed out to them how ridiculous they look. I don't know. (laughs) And I will say that, at least in my experience, this is not so much provider specific as it is hospital system specific. So, do I blame the labor and delivery nurse at all? No. No. She has a job that she has to do and a supervisor and a manager to report to. And they have asked her or him to do these ridiculous things that are not fair. And she may completely believe that they're ridiculous and not fair, but you know, she's trying to move from third shift to first shift. And if her marks, if she doesn't perform perfectly, she's going to be on third shift for a long time. And she wants to be at home at night with her kids. You know, like I don't blame the people Yep, I don't either. I blame the system 
which is afraid of being sued. And so they've implemented policies, and let's air quote policies, right? Because again, no one can do anything to your body or to your baby without your permission. You can go to the hospital and not have your baby monitored. You can go to the hospital and push your baby out in a bathtub. You can go to the hospital and not have a cervical exam. You yeah. might have to fight the entire labor and it's no fun to fight. I remember in my labor, right. I, I remember thinking, you are having this fight with me when I'm in transition. Like we're having this discussion during contractions. That's Gosh, not fair in my head. I'm thinking this isn't fair, but what can you do about it? What yeah. can you do about it at that point? So and yeah. Most women break, right? Yeah. I have seen over and over again, moms that didn't want an IV port, didn't want an IV, didn't want cervical exams, didn't want their water broken. But in the middle of labor, there is no such thing as informed consent. That's not a thing, Right. Moms close their eyes in the middle of a contraction and sign a form for an epidural. I'm like, do, do you think that she was aware of what she just signed? No, she just wants you to get it out of her face. Whatever it right. takes to get you out of her face. Stop talking, yep. get it on my face and get me out of pain as quickly as well, possible. Well, no, I mean, but I mean, if the mom asked for an epidural she wasn't planning on, she better have it stat. But it's, but it is a co- the times where it's co- a little bit coercive. Yeah. And so I have so many moms afterwards that are like, sad. Like I didn't want that, but I didn't feel like fighting about it. You yeah, know, you, well, you just cannot fight. Right. I, I fought that one time I fought cause I had been on pit, the legal maximum dose of pit and I wasn't moving anything. And they said, well, you know, we can either unhook you and call this a failed induction, send you home, the baby might die or we could break your water. But I knew he was posterior and I didn't want to birth him posterior. Like his brother had been born. So I was like, no, give me another hour. And, and this is all while like I'm, I'm having full contractions with the epidural and I'm like, just come on. I mean, and I, and I remember my, I hired a doula and this is, this is not a, probably the best way you should hire a doula, but it's the first time I'd heard the word doula and I knew she was birthy. She was my birth instructor. And I said, will you come be my doula? And she's like, I can't stand watching women get abused. So as long as you promise you won't get abused in front of me, I'll be your doula. That's what kept me safe er in that birth. And how, what kind of stand? I'm there preventing my doula from being traumatized because that's a promise I made to her. That's a little twisted in and of itself as well, right? Yep. Yeah. So I, I remember but thinking- it's a I harsh can't, reality. I can't embarrass myself in front of this doula. She promised she'd only come to my birth if I, didn't, if I wasn't a wuss. I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, like I'm grateful for the experience. I'm grateful for what she did. Like I have no problems with like how it all happened. But the fact that it was even allowed to happen that way. It's yeah. just a little... It's icky. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really icky. So <sighs> all of this to be said, let's spin it back on a positive. Oh, for sure. Because Is yeah. that these things will not happen to you if you're listening to this podcast. Because once you know, yep. you can't unknow. Unknow, yep. Right? <laughs> can't yep. unknow. So now you know you need to be prepared. Now you know you need to choose a great doula and a good birth team and choose, maybe choose a home birth or a birth center birth. But if you are birthing in a hospital, you need to make sure that you have a lot of prenatal preparation. Mm -hmm. You need to read the books. You need to listen to the podcasts. You need to consult with some of your birthy friends that have gone through it. You need to hear positive and uplifting stories. And then you need to prepare birth plans 
that go through, find out what all those hospital policies are and procedures, find out what they want to do, and then meet them in the middle or tell them F you for all of it. I don't know. Figure out what's right for your body and write it down. Mm -hmm. And then make sure everyone on your team knows what the advocacy plan is because chances are you're going to be completely healthy and so is your baby. Yeah, yeah, Because birth is not an emergency, you know? Yeah, and picking the right provider too. I mean, yeah. I love how you take a forceful stance, like pay attention, but you know, enjoy the, enjoy the experience, pay attention, pick the right provider and then let it unfold. You know, Mm -hmm. like you don't have to, if if you're prepared and you've picked a good provider and your partner has your back, really, there's not anything you can't tackle, no matter like how surprising the birth turns. You plan on a a home birth uh, under the lights, the Christmas lights, and you end up with a C-section and you can rock that if you've, on your preparation and then if your your partner has your back and you know yeah so that's exactly. the positive of it, of it all right <laughs> you know, yes exactly not to scare I, you all with this but listen <laughs> yes we want to leave you with you can have a beautiful birth experience in a hospital when you're prepared and you have the right team mm-hmm. yep mm-hmm. awesome even in the middle of covid <laughs> even in the middle of covid yes okay so really quick tell everybody where they can find you again where they can find you find your book, all the things about what you do. Yeah. So I'm Heidi Snyderburn and on Instagram and Facebook, you can find me at birth story podcast and my website is birthstory.com and you can buy my book at birthstory.com. And then also you can purchase the book on Amazon and depending Sarah, when this podcast episode is coming out, I've just finished the audio book. So within the next couple of weeks, I would say if you're listening to this podcast anytime after September 15th, of 2020, then the audio book uh, would be available on Audible And are you reading well. the audio book? I did, yeah. you're I so read, fun to listen to. So. I did. I read the whole thing. It took weeks to record. I have such like admiration now. <laughs> for yourself. Um, <laughs> no, for all the people that like, you know how there's like authors that like I have people that follow authors because uh-huh. they love their, I mean, not authors, listen to me, readers. Voiceovers. Uh-huh. Love their, they love their voice. voice. And I'm like, it is a skill. It's a skill it I don't have, skill. but I just did it. <laughs> did you have like enunciation training to, to make no. it? No. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. And here's a joke. I'm going to tell you this too. So I had a couple of my friends be like beta listeners and the first, like one calls like five minutes after she gets it. And she's like, you do know the difference between perennial and perineal, right? And I was like... <laughs> I said, what did I say? And she said, you said perennial massage. And I was like, oh my God. So I had to re-record it. Every year on the mark, we have a perennial massage. Yes, every year. Every (laughs) year you get that massage done. Well, I'll listen to recordings of myself and I'll flat out leave that word. So listeners, if you hear me just like flat out leave a word out, just know that I'm aware of that. And I don't know what it happens in my brain because (laughs) just like complete words gone. That is part of Sarah. So yes. Sarah, will you be on my podcast too? Yes. And tell one of your birth stories. You now yes. you, like, you like hooked me. Oh, with a little bit of the story you told, and now I'm already on fire. I'm like, yeah, oh, right. I <laughs> so I would like to hear your yes. full birth story. And oh, I'm free to share to. it. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. I've learned a lot, and I know 
very fun episode to listen to. I'm sure this. Uh, well, thank you for having me. Thank I you, Sarah. See ya. Please visit us at birthcircle.com, join our Facebook groups, or find us on Instagram and Pinterest. We hope you'll use our resources to support your birthing experience.